right, we're back for the third episode of Ad Spend. Uh, you might see a different face here, uh, a better looking face, obviously, with <laughs> Zach Stuck. Ash Mawani needed some mental health time after all the memeing. He'll be he'll be back after the next episode, but he is out gallivanting in Dubai. Um, Cody Cody just hit him a little too hard in the last episode, and he need to uh, take a break. And so now what, what happened was he went viral. He went viral. He was like, I don't need these guys anymore. <laughs> like I'm a big shot. I'm bigger than them. Those memes were too good, weren't they? I could not stop laughing. He's uh, uh, this is Jim. We love you, Ash. We love you, and um, I hope you're having fun in Dubai. I'm actually right on your heels. I'll be heading out to Dubai um, in a few, actually, a few days. On Tuesday, I fly out. Um, but my travel plans are not what we're going to talk about today. We brought on a hitter, as always, one of the principals over at Homestead, Zach Stuck. He's going to drop some bombs on us. He just started a stealth startup, so we can't actually, uh, and I feel douchey saying stealth startup, but um, we, we actually can't reveal the name. But we can reveal the playbook in how Zach has actually built it into this not behemoth yet, but this this sapling that is really starting to gain some real trajectory. And in this environment, that is absolute kudos. I the stock market is just brutalizing me right now. Gas prices, you got we're about to go to war, all this craziness. And Zach Stuck has still found a way to build a business. Zach, tell dude, us a little bit dude, about it. Do my thing. Do my thing. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I can give a little bit of background on myself. That's cool um, for the listeners Love that it. don't know, yeah, don't yeah, know me absolutely. or anything like that. So I am um, the founder of Homestead. We're a growth marketing shop working with direct consumer brands. Um, we're a team of 22, uh, work with 35 brands, um, you know, managing anything from launch brands all the way to brands doing, you know, eight, eight figures in revenue um, in, in their direct consumer channels. So um, run that and then also uh, bought a direct consumer brand, which I'm happy to talk about that in a little bit called Public Supply. Um, it's a notebook company. They've been in business for about seven years, bought them in August. Um, it has a pretty cool, it's a B Corp, so a pretty cool giving component. We give 25% of our profits over to uh, public schools to buy school supplies for kids, which is pretty that's sweet. Um, so that's been a fun business to learn. Um, and then I launched a, a brand, a DTC brand, about 90 days ago, coming up, you know, I think in the next day or two, I think we hit day 90. Um, that's been a lot of fun. It's in the apparel space. I'm happy to kind of say that piece of it. Um, but happy to run you guys through kind of the playbook that I've used there. Uh, we did 120K in sales in the first 30. Let's we'll do go. north of 200K this Damn. month um, and about 15, 20K of profit this month. So we're looking looking pretty healthy already despite That's uh, awesome, man. That's crazy. the ecosystem. So, yeah, happy to to run you guys through that playbook whenever or we can jump into. Yeah, I actually want to hear times. first off about the acquisition. How did that work out? Well, obviously, you don't need to get into like proper numbers, but give some people kind of, was this like a micro acquire? Was this you knew the owner and then you wanted to get in there? How, how does someone go about acquiring kind of a DTC brand? And then in that sense, what were you looking for? Um, like what excited you? Was there metrics, EBITA? Like what, what were you looking at in terms of wh- why you thought this was actually, there's some more legs on this brand than where it was? Yeah, totally. So uh, I pay for a small broker to just like kick me deals of brands that are for sale. Some of them show up on micro acquire, some of them show up on just like private listings. Um, this is one that showed up. Um, I was kind of in the market to buy a brand. Uh, I wanted to buy a brand that had a bigger wholesale kind of ecosystem um, to take advantage of. Um, obviously we're all D2C over here at Homestead. So I wanted to have, you know, the opportunity to learn more about, about just that side of the business, right. Which we don't spend a ton of time on. Um, I did a lot of B2B kind of SaaS work at the last agency I was at prior, uh, to starting Homestead. So it was kind of like, Hey, let's give it a shot. You know, unique opportunity. I paid three X, um, the EBITDA on it, um, which is like a pretty 
standard multiple. Um, as far as how that deal went down, yeah, I mean, your classic did the LOI, did due diligence myself, kind of looked at where their numbers were at, their opportunity for growth. Um, it was run by a couple guys that do and run like a design shop. They design like some pretty bougie hotels and like really cool stuff like that. They're like very talented artist designers. They're not necessarily direct consumer marketers, right? So they had this business that was kind of the side thing. It's a B Corp, so it's like for good. Um, but I knew like, hey, come in, drop the Homestead playbook on it. Like we'll be able to scale the D2C side, but also the wholesale side, like learning how to hack fair, um, learning how to like find more wholesalers. All of that was something new to me that I wanted to learn. So that's been that's been a fun journey over the last six months since I bought it. So uh, what was what your kind of like primary... Okay, what was your like primary decision like for wanting to to go from obviously agency owner to you know obviously you still have the agency but but to actually go and start acquiring or building brands? Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's uh, once you learn a playbook, you know how to grow a brand to a certain point right. profitably. Um, and I've been doing this. I mean, I started my first e-commerce business when I was nineteen in college, so I've been doing this for for ten years. Right. I've been in the e-com space. So like I've had enough swings to finally be like, OK, like I think I know enough. I think we have the team equipped to it that I can literally just plug and play that, you know, not a lot of brands can do. Right. When you when you start a brand, you're usually hiring an agency or freelancers. We've got the team behind me. Right. That I can literally just say, oh, all right, sure. we, need to, we need to build seven flows out. We need to do this. We need to do that. And what this brand was doing was like pretty much all organic word of mouth. So like they were doing pretty decent revenue from organic traffic. Um, very little email, like they were using MailChimp. They had no flow set up mm-hmm. besides like card abandonment. Okay. I'm like, okay, I know we can just come in, plug our stuff in, do some paid on like a micro scale and then grow this like wholesale side, which there's pretty dang good margins on that side too. So um, yeah, I mean, I would say like the traditional playbook, right? Like we know the type of ads that are working right now. We know the type of like landing pages that are working right now. We know how to run mm-hmm. emails really well. Um we know CRO well enough. I mean, so like for that brand and for the brand I launched 90 days ago, I launched them both on Shopify 2.0 themes. Like I did that myself in a yeah. weekend. That's, that's the, Damn. that's the rad thing about this ecosystem, right? Because it's like, that's so crazy. my original job, I was, I was a front end developer. So I'm a little bit, I've got a little bit of skill there that I can still drop if I need to, um, some front end stuff to, you know, tailor, you know, the UI UX of sites. But, um, it was like, Hey, we can come in we can fix the UI UX of the site. We can throw the Homestead playbook at it and then we can figure out how to like hack getting more sales through fair. Um, and that's been cool. And basically like, just to give you like the, you know, total insight on that, it's, it's a ton of DMS to like just a bunch of uh, small boutiques throughout the U S and as long as you can qualify to fair that you had a conversation with them prior to uh, fair, you get a better discount as far as like what fair charges you to do wholesale through, through the platform. So like all these boutiques that are buying through fair already can take advantage of using fair, but then it's like, Hey, if you show fair that you've already had a previous relationship with them, that, that helps your margin significantly. So we started doing more of that. That's been helping already selling out products that way. Like that's, that was kind of like the whole methodology behind it. Guys. So you saw something you knew it was a good business, but you knew you could kind of easily add value with what, what you knew and, pay, you know, that, that three X multiple, you could have been able to pay for essentially it's worth more to you than somebody else who doesn't have your playbook. Right. Right. And and the thing is, is like we drop our play. I mean, it'll be worth four times more than what I bought it for by the end of this year. Like without a doubt, like even where like we're, we're headed. So I think that's, that is the benefit of having, you know, when you, when you talk about why did you, you know, freelance and build an agency, then do brands. It's like, it's kind of the sweet spot if you want to build brands, right? You have, you have the agency, which is just access to a ton of information, right? Um, you can learn a lot. You can learn the different industries that work. You can learn like 
hey, what are the types of products that have the best mar- landed margin, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, but then you can also utilize your team when you launch brands, right? So you don't have to pay all that up upfront costs for dev or totally. landers or you know even talented media buyers, all that good stuff. So that's fascinating. I so in terms of the structure, how does the economics work? So when you buy them out, you essentially you are the hundred percent owner, then right? There's no other equity left in the company, and then do you slice that up? Do you keep that all for yourself, and then? kind of uh, bring in, like, basically play homestead a nut, basically to hire out, um, you know, your your agency to then perform these tasks? Like, how, what do those machinations look like? Because this is actually something that I'm very, uh, you know, intrigued by to your point where I think there's a lot of legacy brands that have, um, you know, fantastic products, but they're just not marketers. They, like, they yep. made a really great product and people love the product, but um, getting to, you know, 100K, uh, a month is just impossible to them. But for you, that's like the first step. And then, you, you know, in six months, you're going to be cranking out half a million because you understand kind of the ecosystem. But like, I guess let's take it a step back. Like, do, do you hire people? Like, how, how do you staff up this sure. company? Do they come yeah, with totally. the acquisition? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So no, it was just an asset purchase. Um, I bought a few hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory that was part of the deal um, that kind of got kicked in. The tough part about that, of course, it's like, it's not the best sellers, right? It's probably like the things that are left over that they haven't really necessarily (laughs) needed to restock. So that was, Mm -hmm. I was able to devalue that a little bit, which was nice, part of the deal. Um, As far as the deal went, um, I I had a kicker in there for basically like, if we hit X amount of revenue, we'll pay out a little bit more. So that was beneficial for for me not to have as much cash needed up front on the day of the deal. and yeah, as far as like the team structure goes, I hired one full-time person. And again, benefit of having Homestead, they work for Homestead, but they work on the brands. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can offer them full, you know, good salary benefits, 401k, all that, all that great stuff. Instead of being a, a launch brand, like an, again, another benefit of running the agency first. Yeah, yeah true. Um, and that person is essentially, you know, ops, uh, customer service, uh, just like a jack of all trades. Um, her, her name is Mary. She came from another agency. Um, she actually wanted a job at Homestead. I'm like, Hey, I've got this unique opportunity. You can work on brands. You can have, you know, have a lot of hats. Um, you can grow with the, with the brands from like day one as our first employee. So a good fit. And then that, that's kind of how that started. But yeah, so one employee and then we, you know, the, the Homestead team does all of our email and SMS campaigns. They do all of our creative. And then I've done the majority of the, of the media buying. Uh, but we do have now some, some Homestead team helping with the media buying of, of both brands. Do you think this is something you, you'll do more of? Do you think like now that you've got a little bit of this on your your belt, like you'll plan to actually like, build out a whole co and like try to either acquire or build multiple brands and just kind of incubate them from Homestead? Dude, like I, I struggle with this question every day. Like I've had so many people ask hmm. me that. I think in all real, I have one more product that I want to do start from scratch, just like this one I launched 90 days ago that I want to do that I've had it on in my head for like two years, just haven't done it yet. And I haven't seen too many players roll out a product like what I want to do for that one. Um, Probably not. Probably not. I think if anything, we'll launch one okay. more. Um, I think that this notebook, you know, public supply company has the capability to do a few million a year in revenue and like some decent EBITDA, but nothing like app crazy. Okay. It's more of a lifestyle business right. at the end of the day, like a small yeah. team kicking out some decent profits and donating a decent amount of money. Like that's kind of my goal for that. Um, this other apparel brand that I launched 90 days ago, I think has got real legs. I think that that one I'm going to put a lot more energy into this year instead of trying to just do okay. more and more. And more. Um, yeah. The biggest thing, you know, in you know this, Cody, but like, you know, e-commerce is hard for like two things. Like 
in my in my eyes. Cash flow, <laughs> cash flow management is mm-hmm. like extremely hard. And then just even like having the cash to buy the inventory to sell the products, right? Because it's like you can't like those are the hardest things in my eyes right now. Coming from me being a, a D2C marketer, growth marketer, been doing the marketing side for 10 years, like those are the hardest things. Cause it's like this one brand, which I can run running us through some rough numbers. Like we launched this this other brand 90 days ago, did 120K in the first 30 days. Um, I started with a rolling PO. So I was able to like get good terms with the with the manufacturer where I was actually paying for the product 30 days after it landed at the fulfillment center, yeah. which is fantastic. Sweet. Um, but like now I want to I want to basically ramp things up, and that next PO we have is like very very high six figures amount needed in capital to allocate to go do it, and that is like absolutely terrifying, right? That's so scary, and it's like if you want to grow at the speed that I want to grow at, you have to take those crazy risks of just cash flow management of like allocating that much cash, and of course there's like partners out there that you can work with, but. At the end of the day, you're then every little you know partner you partner with, like that percentage that you're giving away to them is just like eating into that margin. What when when you're a fast growing company, that margin isn't as big as what it might be for growing a little bit slower. So that that's the hardest part in my eyes, and that's kind of like what I'm what I'm up against right now with with the brands. And so if I go launch more, I'm just gonna have more of those same issues, which is just more cash flow management, more whatever, right? Um, so that's where my head's yeah. at right now. So probably not. Maybe launch one more, but probably focus on these mm-hmm. two for the majority of this year. I love that. And I would also say, too, that you exacerbated your issue because apparel is notorious for inventory risk, right? Like sizing is a mother effer, like figuring out what sizes you need. Where, like that is just it's 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 I mean, to be fair, it's not perishable. So that's great. Right. So it's not perishable inventory. But at the same time, like that's what for me breaks my brain with inv- or with apparel brands. It's just like, how do you do this sizing? Dude, we're just doing swag stuff. And it's like, it's impossible yeah. to do no, it. It's hard. That. So I can't imagine it's like, very figuring hard. out what you need to you stock in. And then yeah. also you're, you know, a six K nut just to stock the stores. Like you said, that's spicy. And then if you do go get it levered, how much then, then you have that interest nut that you have to pay on the leverage to get that. And then, if the cash flows don't hit, are you going to be able to pay off the levered, you know, inventory? And there, there's just like, it's not this like mom and pop. I mean, it's a fairly, you chose a complex vertical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I think, in you know, to your point, you know, I think that apparel, the, the reason why I'm doing the apparel that I'm doing is we have very limited SKUs. So it's a mm. unique product where the SKU count is actually really low, um, which to your exact point, that like that's where a lot of apparel brands struggle, right? You find your best seller, you roll out a new collection every season, and then you find your best seller, and it's that gray, you know, t-shirt that's like whatever, uh, and you sell out right away of your mediums and your larges, and now you're stuck with everything else. Now you got your bright blues and reds to try and sell or whatever, and th- that's that's what happens. So yeah, I mean the concept here is like we have uh, eight SKUs, and we're only gonna have eight SKUs until we probably you know my goal is to do ten million a year in two years from now. So like in two total years, I want to do ten million a year. Um, and I don't plan to roll out any other SKUs until we hit that mark. Um, because I don't think, I don't think we need to, I think that there's enough legs and there's enough like, you know, opportunity with this type of product that the more SKUs is just going to be more headache in my eyes. So yeah, no, totally, totally agree on that point about apparel being tough though. So I got one more question. Oh, go ahead, Cody. No, yeah. I I think we got a lag or something. I don't know. Is the audio sound good? You're bougie in Miami. Yeah, your, your audio sounds great. Yeah, we'll just yeah. Have to all right, be, cool. Be, uh... Yeah, I got some video lag. I got you. All right, so part of my question was, Zach, like, I, you kind of answered it, 
I was going to ask you, like, I know a lot of people that are agency side kind of say what you said, which is like, man, we're already doing this for brands. Like we're doing it for our partners. Why not just do it for ourselves? Like, and obviously there are so many truths to that and so many benefits, but you kind of talked about the cash flow issues. Is there anything else that you learned that where you realized the grass is really not greener? Anything that goes into brand building, ops, people, whatever it is, where you're like, damn, like this is actually a lot harder than the agency side. In my eyes, I mean, I still think the cash flow management is the hardest thing and then getting mm-hmm. that that cash for, for inventory. I think that, I truly think that is the hardest thing. Uh, for sure. Outside of that, when you are in an agency, you learn what everyone makes mistakes on though, right? So like as far as me doing apparel, I didn't launch with 100 SKUs. I launched with eight and I'm going to plan to stick out with eight, sure. right? So like I learned that as far as, as, as that goes. As far as the brand building piece goes, like you learn what brands do the right things and what brands do the wrong things. Again, mm-hmm. because you're an agency. Um the channels, like I'm not going to, I didn't launch this brand and put all my money in Snapchat. Like I just didn't do that because I know that that's not the channel that I want to invest in. Right. Um, I think that there is a playbook for direct consumer brands to go zero to hundred K in their first month. If they have the right landed margins and mm-hmm. if they have a product that isn't so niche that they can run it to like a broad audience. Um, so let's go there. Can you, can yeah. you tell us what that playbook looks like? Sure. So, I mean, like, okay, so when I started, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to break this down as much as I can, it, it, it's, I feel like it's a lot, so I'll try and break it down. So, basically, the concept behind this product is I can run this product to a bunch of different audiences, a bunch of different types of people, and all of them will like the product for a different reason. So, mm-hmm. that, that benefit is, uh, of being able to have that for this product was super helpful because when I started... I was able to run Facebook ads, didn't even touch TikTok, haven't even posted a TikTok yet, like nothing, haven't even touched that platform yet, which I know there's a ton of opportunity. It's more like still kind of getting the groundwork built because we're just 90 days in. But I knew that I could run broad audience, which the majority of our buyers are men. So men, 30 plus, Facebook, Instagram, feeds only ads and, and, and validate if they're going to be a fit based on the creative and that alone was helping me figure out, okay, what are the types of people, because there's a bunch of different use cases for this, that are resonating and that are also just impulse buying this product. Once mm-hmm. I figured that out, once I figured that piece out of like, hey, there's specific activities that people are going to use this apparel for that they love the concept and what we're, what we're promoting. Once I knew that, uh, instead of just driving traffic to like pr- standard product pages, then I built out listicles. Listicles meaning five reasons why this product is a good fit for this type of audience that then literally just like cranked up the profitability because as soon as I knew I could try, you know, I probably tried 10 different, you know, audiences, types of people, activities, whatever you want to call it with this one product. Once I found like one or two that were hitting, drop them then to a listicle add to listicle. Like then I knew, okay, these audiences really resonate with my product. They resonate with why I'm saying it's unique, why it's different from other products on the market and their impulse buying this product. So there's something here. Cause then, then, then I had the, like the right to then go deeper and then you can really turn it up. So I feel like with so, any brand, so yeah, go for it, break it. I was gonna say, so, so step one, right? Go, go broad, but test, again, I'm not even talking about audiences, but test different segments of the audience to kind of see which angles are resonating with, with the audiences, right? Yep, yep. And then step two, once you got something that hits, right, double down on that and then create some landing pages specifically for that. In your case, you're using listicles. 
Yep, exactly. So let me give yep. you let me give you an example because I've I've used this example to, to describe it to other people too because this this is not my product but I feel like it's very helpful. So let's talk about mm-hmm. beanies like winter hats, right? Mm-hmm. So a winter hat could be used for a bunch of different types of demographics. It could be hunters, it could be ice fishing people, it could be people that are into skiing, mm-hmm. snowboarding, it could be people that are into winter hiking, it could be hipsters. just general style hipsters. Like it could be all sorts of things, right? The benefit of starting a company with a beanie is like you could have one beanie. There's no sizes with beanies, right? So it's like you got one product and maybe you do like two colors. You do black and white or gray and red, whatever. Keep your, keep your you know, uh, skews really tight, which helps you kind of understand, you know, just the actual marketing piece of it, not even like the product that they mm-hmm. specifically want. So let's just, let's just use a beanie for example. I then basically made ads with a beanie, call it, to skiers to hunters, yeah. to everyone. And of those, like there were two or three that really, really resonated. And I was just driving them to a general product page on a Shopify 2.0 theme, nothing crazy, like just general information. But then as soon as I found that, like, let's say skiing hit, then I built a five reasons why skiers are switching to this beanie because it actually fits underneath their helmet. And then mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, Dope. five reasons. So then it was like, as soon as I turned that part of the funnel on it just like it worked right because basically the ad validated that this is the audience even though i'm running it broad this is the audience that likes it okay cool. that was gonna be my question yeah yep. this is the audience that likes it now they're on a listicle that's talking to them because the ad qualified them and it's giving reasons why them their type of person really likes this product and why it's unique and why they should buy it and why there's reviews that people love it all those things now push them to the product page that can still stay, stay more general like now the, the benefit of that is like if you get that one funnel for skiing working, if you can crack that for, for hunting, if you can crack that for hipsters, now you got three funnels running to the same products and maybe each one of those funnels is doing $100,000 a month. They have a $300,000 a month business and you're selling to three different, completely different types of people. They would never know, but they all love your product because of it fit to their, you know, their, their, their buyer demo, who they are, what they resonate with. So you're not doing interest targeting. You're running all of that on broad and you're, you're targeting with. So, yeah, I mean, I creative. tested, int- I, I, I tested stacked interest okay. and they would work for like five days and then they'd fall off. Yeah. Um, okay. But when running broad, like they're always, it, it just gives us more opportunity. Our CPCs were lower. Cost of traffic was lower. Mm-hmm. Conversion rate was about the same. So like at the end of the day, it was still beneficial to continue running broad. Um, so I'm a yeah. broad guy. I mean, I'm a, I'm a whatever works guy, but like, that's what we find best. That's what I think most people are going to find the most success with. A lot of people talk about creative being your targeting, right? Wh- what do you think of that? Like, I think a lot of people say that and they don't actually explain what they mean. How are you using that creative to actually find different pockets of people within those broad audiences? Yeah. I mean, it needs to qualify them in the first half a second, right? If it's a video mm-hmm. or if it's a static, mm-hmm. right? Like, I actually only ran statics for the first 30 days, had no videos because I knew that that big text, that massive text would be like, hey, skiers, check out this beanie. Yeah. Like then I, then I qualify them right away, right? Because if you're like, I'm a skier and you see that, you just flip right past it, scroll past, move on. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a big piece, right? I think, the, I think the biggest piece though, truly the biggest piece that people mess up on is not knowing where to put landing pages in the funnel. So like we can, I can break that down for you a little bit. So yeah, like yeah, when definitely. I said, when I said I like listicles the most, I like listicles the most at the top of the funnel because it's the simplest way, even just resources wise to dumb down your product to a specific type of person, mm-hmm. right? It's literally number one, this is why you should like it. Number two, this is why you should like it. Like, I feel like people are trained to 
read and think that way. So it's very easy for them to like learn more about your product before they even hit your product page. Because I feel like as soon as you get your product oh. page, now they're thinking about price. Now they're thinking about, let me look at the reviews. What are people saying on like the two and three star reviews? Like before you yeah. even get them there, like I love listicles there versus even just driving to a product page top of funnel. Because it's like, let's try and educate them a little bit more about what it is, actually qualify them a little bit more before I even show them all the stuff that's actually going to give them like that, that buyer decision. Yeah. Pre-sell them. Never give people the option to buy until they've been sold. Yeah. I think it works best. They, I mean, they, we've seen it, yeah, yeah, we've totally. seen it across homestead clients and obviously even on my own with my own money. Right. That, that's, that's what works best. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. I love that. And then, um, I, I was doing this, this thing with, uh, I did like a live webinar with this Matt, the CEO of Octane AI last week. And he said something that really stuck with me. We were, we were talking about the strategy again, like we run the same thing, like pretty much all our TikTok, even a lot of our Facebook traffic is to a listicle that goes to a quiz and it's all on broad. And he was like, you know, the old way you used to be able to do it was get super narrow on Facebook. And then everyone would just be broad for with their own channels, with their email, with their landers and stuff like that. And now it's like broad on Facebook. And actually get very narrow or much more narrow on your own channels. One put your your post click experience. So that's just what you're talking about is getting different smaller niche landing pages going. Get you know, and then again, like if you're running to a quiz, which we are, like then you can get super narrow and super personalized and talk to people about what they're already telling you. So I, I love to hear that you're you're thinking about it that way. Totally. Yeah, and I think too, uh some a big, big big believer in uh, or big proponent, I guess, is a better descriptor of jobs to be done. And I think that's exactly what you're doing, where certain people have jobs to be done and it, they're going to have different jobs to be done. And what I like about the listicle is I believe people buy off a non like no regret framework. And so people would rather make no decision than make a bad decision. And so what you're doing there with those listicles is you're giving people really easy sound bites to tell their wife or their significant other or their best friend why they're so smart or why they bought X, Y, or Z. Um, because that's a huge deal. That's like, I'm a, again, big proponent of, I think all purchases happen, the, happen in the mind. And so these people have already bought the product. And then how do you kind of give them that firepower to then complete that loop? Um, but the other question is, how many drinks do you have, Cody? Is, it, is there 78 over there? You have a can? Dude, you have a two. plastic bottle? What are you, what are <laughs> yeah, you doing We might have there? to do a... He's sweating in the it's Miami hot here. I think Jesus. The, <laughs> I literally... I think on the golf course today, I had like eight bottles of water. Didn't go to the bathroom once. He's it's savage. Um, but joking aside, how do you think of... Um, going back to the stealth startup, um, how are you thinking of like retention or kind of LTV because right now it sounds like a bit like an AOV play, right? Like somebody buys once and then you have to go find a new new set of customers to keep buying that first purchase. Is that kind of just how it's going to be or is there levers that you're looking into to build on those kind of, you know, back end to really push up that LTV or um, just can you give me some color there? Yeah. I mean, this is the type of product that you could buy every six months, once a year. Okay. Um, so there's definitely an opportunity for, for the LTV play. A lot of that's coming Perfect. from email and SMS, you know, yep. flows. Um, the, the other side of it that I've debated doing is actually trialing, um, trialing a subscription, which sounds like, oh, everyone's trying to do subscriptions, right? But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like this type of product, I think because we're selling a high-end product, it's high-priced, I think the people that are willing to spend the money that they are on this product are, are willing to replace it at the time that we tell them to replace it. 
100%. So like going back to the beanie, if, if we say, hey, this beanie is all natural, whatever, uh, merino wool, whatever, doesn't matter, organic cotton, but it's only going to last you a year and it's only going to last you 10 washes. So we're going to hit you up with a new one every year. So you don't have to worry about before you go out skiing again next year, before you go, whatever, it's just going to show up at your door. Um, and then that's the perfect time for you to replace it. Like, I think it's a little bit longer play. It's not like that annoying subscription that you like order toothpaste and then it shows up and you've only used a quarter of the tube. Right. I think it's a little bit more, but it's also like the, the, the messaging of telling them like this product should only be used, you know, like I could switch it to something else. Like let's say underwear, right. Yeah. I feel like men in underwear, I've, I've heard this conversation with some brands that we've talked to. It's like men should replace their underwear more often. So like you just got to force them to do it. And you got to tell them they got to do it. So like if you tell them to do it, then you can just build in that subscription model into your business without it being a traditional su- subscription mm-hmm. type of product. So uh, I'm going to trial that this year. Uh, I haven't launched it yet, but I think that there's some mm-hmm. I think there's some gas on that on that fire, too. I think that's incredibly clever. Uh, not only that, especially if you are in that high price vertical um, you can start playing around with performance. You can start like, you don't need to replace it, but if you want peak performance, you should be on this cadence and we'll do it for you easy peasy. And then the whole time you're just trickling on them content and building that emotional bond. To, oh yeah. I'm going to get, you know, re up my beanie in six months or what have you. I think honestly, that's really intriguing to me because, um, one of the things about subscription businesses is you basically have to just convince somebody once to buy and then not piss them off. Whereas when you have purchasing businesses, you, you every single time you have to give them a reason to buy your product again and again, where if you just get them in the club, you just have to make sure that they don't leave kind of stuff. Uh, that's really fascinating. Um, you want to yeah. jump into some Lander stuff, Cody? Or yeah, what do you want to talk about now? yeah, let me ask one, one, maybe one more, and then we go on Landers. Cool. So, so obviously, if you don't have a, you know, high LTV, it's not like a, you know, uh, CPG product and, or if they're not coming again for a year, like you have to be profitable on, on first purchase, I, I'd assume how much organic are you doing? Like, I know we talked about, you know, you're obviously paid, you're doing email and SMS. Are you doing anything else organically for this brand? Not yet. No, nope. I've no. got a, okay. I've got an SEO shop lined up, ready to rock. Um, okay. I will probably start with them in the next month. Um, and again, I kind of see that as like a loss, you know, just a loss price for six months. And if it starts to compound, yeah. it starts to compound. Um, it's more just an investment in the brand more than anything. But yeah, I mean, I think I think not a lot of DC brands like put that budget aside for it. I mean, I kind of see it yeah. as like, whatever, I don't know if I can swear, but like shitty ad spend. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just like inefficient ad spend, Showtime. right? You're gonna, <laughs> you're going to, uh, you're gonna waste money trying some things. Like you might as well do it on something that there's most likely gonna be some compound. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll end up driving more traffic. Um, obviously it's a new brand, so it's not like we're ranking super well in, in search yet. Yeah. Um, but shopping, uh, sharp, shopping campaigns are doing pretty well already. The one thing there that we did, okay. which I think is pretty cool, is like we do custom feed images and we've been, tr- we've been testing those. So like um, in the apparel space, apparel is known to have kind of crappy shopping images, like white backgrounds, and then the product, right? So uh, we've been trialing, like adding a bunch of the uh, value props to the product with like arrows around the image. So it, like that image looks like there's a lot of shit going on, but then you click on it, you get to the you know the product page, and then it shows that. But we've tried that. We've tried like even just like lifestyle photos in there with Google Shopping, a few other tests, um, and that's been that's been cool. We've, we've definitely learned some lessons from that. So um, even just on a small scale, like that's that's definitely helping. So. But yeah, no, no organic. Like it's very, very minimal. Okay. So essentially the goal right now was we're running at like, 
I don't know, five to 10% profit a month. Like that's kind of the goal to sit right there. Sure. Um, I'm still learning a ton. Like post-purchase surveys, we're still learning. Like, why are you buying this? Like what, what made you actually buy this? Like, sure. I think I know I'm a marketer. I think I know what I'm doing, but there's probably something else emotionally that triggered you to buy it. And what is that? So I definitely want to know more of that. Um, which is why I'm willing to kind of run it at, at closer to break even for right now. For sure. Awesome. Really cool. Do you think, do you think to get, more profitable you'll have to do more organic long term um that's a that's a great question um yes yes but i do feel like the compounding effect so one thing that we started doing right away was um a pretty compelling offer for people to share with their friends get their friends to buy the products totally um and, and the nice thing about like this product kind of back to that hat example i'll just use that like if you're a skier or if you're like an outdoor enthusiast that really likes your thing and you just bought a really expensive product to use for that, if you like it, you're probably going to want your friends to get it too, right? Like yeah. I know, like, I mean, you're big into golf, right? So like if someone just got the brand new driver from Nike, I don't know, and they're like, this is this is the driver this year. You need this driver. Here, here's $10 off and I make 50 bucks when you go buy it. Like it makes it a lot easier for for, for, you know, brands to do that. We've been doing that and seeing like pretty good results. So, okay. yeah, um, I mean, I, we, I would call referral organic. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah. so then referral being, it's yeah. a pretty decent slice already. So I can oh, see cool. that I, really starting awesome. to, to come. Is that so, a golf pun, Zach? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indirect. Nice yeah, catch. Nice only catch. time with slice is good. No, but I mean, that yeah. probably also makes you feel good. It, it makes you, you know, especially without no, like being a consumable thing. So you're not going to have the highest LTV and the highest re- yeah. re- retention. Like, that's probably cool to see that people are actually liking what, what you're selling them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been fortunate that I feel like I've found a product that's unique enough that there's not a lot of players in the space and that people are, are, are at truly liking it already. So, you know, the complaints are like, Hey, they sent me the wrong color, the wrong size. And then they sent me the, the right one three days later. All is good. Three stars. It's like, okay, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, yeah, dude, you're gonna be you're gonna be getting hit up so much in the DMs asking what your product is after this episode goes live. Yeah, it, you, it already you need happens to have some, it, but. <laughs> some red herrings where you can just send people back just like ridiculous products. Like, hey, don't tell anybody, but this is actually my product, and just right. send them just yeah. ridiculous links. Or it's like, how is he doing Throw this? Off. A seven dollar yeah. product. Mm-hmm. This is great. Um, <laughs> to I actually have two quick questions before we jump to the landing page chat. So. Um, one, you said, um, you're doing shopping ads. Are you doing any DPA or DABA stuff on Facebook? Not for this brand. And how's that going? Not, Not for this brand, brand, but we, but we okay. do a homestead. Okay. We do a homestead. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the, the specific, yeah. the stealth startup. And then the second question yeah. is, do you ever see, um, or think that you'll explore like FBA and Amazon at all? Yeah. We have zero Amazon right now. Um, and just even doing some quick search and using a few of the tools, like we're seeing buyers search the brand name. So it's like, okay, well, there's our obviously intent just from the small scale that we're at right now. So I think we will. I think we will. Um, the product being a high-priced, higher-end apparel yeah, piece, I, yeah. I don't know how well it will do because it pro- you know, there's probably a few other players that can scoop in there and just under underprice us and I don't really know. So there's, there's that, but I think we'll test it. I think we'll test it and see. Um, I think that the product is unique enough that there won't be too many. I mean, I know that there's maybe one other player selling on Amazon right now with the same type of product, not obviously the same exact one, but, um, 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious. We, we honestly don't do a ton of Amazon stuff at Homestead. We have a lot of our yeah. clients that spend a lot, do a ton of volume through Amazon, but um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to trial it out. Yeah, it's a weird beast, especially for, um, it sounds like this is in that kind of luxury vertical. Um, I, I just, I'm very bearish on Amazon building luxury, or it's just, it's it's a Costco style feeling where you just get in there, you want the best price, and then availability are the two things. And those are like two things that are 0% conducive with luxury. <laughs> like luxury is price agnostic. And a lot of times it's very inventory constrained because it's luxury. Like there's only so much and that's the scarcity drives a lot of that value. Um, that's really cool though, man. Uh, you want to jump into landing pages? Yeah, let's go lander. So let's talk about landing pages. I think at least in my eyes, it's a hot topic, right? Like everyone talks about, talks about creative and obviously creative is huge and a super important broad targeting. Like we've, we've kind of beaten the dead horse about, uh, uh, you know, on that on the show, but like, I think landing pages is something that people are just kind of now waking up to, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I come from like a very hardcore direct response background, like funnels and everything. Like people don't even have websites. So it's like, to me, landing pages are like kind, you know, like not a new thing, but I feel like in, in direct to consumer, like they're kind of pretty new. And I don't think that there's as much, I think it's like, there are just now becoming landing page agencies and like landing page experts, but like, you know, it's probably mostly a post iOS kind of thing to kind of force it. Um, and I know Zach, you, you guys have done a lot, you guys are doing a lot. So I'd love to just learn from you a little bit on what you're finding. Some of the tests that you've ran, I'm sure you found some, some consistencies in terms of like what kind of layouts work, what, what, what are the elements? Like, let's start with this actually. What are the elements that you think a good landing page has? If we're talking about driving cold traffic to it, what are all the elements, all like the different blocks that you think are necessary? So I'm going to kind of break it down in three different things. So I, I think about yeah. landing pages in like three templates, right? So I think about it okay. in listicles, kind of your like five okay. reasons why that I've talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. Your advertorials, meaning like any type of um, editorial style content uh, on a review site or whatever, whatever that might be, right? Okay. Um, I think about that. And then I think about traditional landers. Like that's kind of how I keep the main three yeah. that, that we see and that okay. we um, Now. Traditional landers. Let's talk about those because I feel like those yeah, are like yeah, kind of like the sexy looking, cool, usually more functionality. Let's talk about those. So um, yeah. I think people for the last two years have been trying to get those to work, but didn't didn't put in the men- like did not put in the energy to think through what they're f- trying to do. And I, I like blame uh-huh. myself for this partially as well. Now I'll tell you kind of what what I'm thinking when I say that. So. When you drive cold traffic from paid social to a page and the only option you give them is like an added cart button that pushes them to checkout, I think that you're doing them a disservice by not giving them an opportunity to learn more about your your brand, your business, and just read more content in general. The majority of those like traditional landing pages are designed forward first and not necessarily like teaching so i think those like traditional landers they're like low like, friction you're talking like like they're low friction like you can add to cart straight from the lander yep which skip we, the whole checkout like skip all the right. steps which i think pre-ios we ran a lot of these and they worked post ios right. just with the diminishing returns it's just not enough margin not enough like conversion rate on those uh because you push them straight into checkout and they're like well what the hell i just hit add to cart like now i'm in checkout like i didn't and then i try to go back and i'm on the home page and i'm lost like i've seen a lot of those funnels kind of go south those and even pages, if they do convert aov is usually lower on those traditionally we we usually make bundles out of those pages um, sure, but gotcha. but that said like um those pages work great bottom funnel because it's like okay top of funnel i've got my dr ad that i drive to a listicle the, the ad that i run to the listicle should just be dr don't mention anything about five reasons why in the ad drive that to a listicle 
just dumb it down. Who are you? Why should they buy from you? Simple. Push them over to a PDP. Now they didn't buy from through the PDP process. Maybe they looked at your FAQ page. Maybe they did whatever, shopped around a little bit. Now, if you are running remarketing in any way, which I still think you should do, people are kind of against this, and there's like a lot of stuff going on where it's like <coughs> Facebook <laughs> isn't as efficient. Yeah, I, I'm not but, against it. I, but you have to have the economics for it. I'm not against do. it. Now, here I'm based hear me in, out on I'm this rooted in economics. <laughs> hear me out on this part though. Now you can push them from an ad showcasing a best-selling product to a lander that showcases the best-selling product or bundle. Then that add a cart button goes straight to checkout. Now they're ready. Now they're ready to be pushed straight into checkout. But if you're top of funnel, that's like such a big ask to be like, boom, literally two clicks, add click, add a cart click, checkout. Like, I feel like you need to give them a little bit more time. Um, now, when we talk about those traditional landers, I can break down like what we see working and what doesn't. I think people make a lot of mistakes and don't add a faux navigation. And when I say faux navigation, fake navigation, meaning at the top of the page, have your logo, right? They want to click on it. Like you look at heat maps, all these landers, they're clicking on that shit. Have that there. Have a navigation on desktop and then on mobile, have your little whatever, three drop hamburger, whatever you want to call it. Um, that links to, it might say like about us or why or shop or this, that should link to the sections on the page because they're used to, they're used to seeing a navigation. They're used to seeing your logo. So when they land on the landing pages and there's no logo and no navigation, they're like, well, shit, what do I do? And then they bounce. I think that's the majority of why those traditional landers don't normally work. So I think adding a phone navigation at the very top is like, the best way to do it. I think that that keeps Damn. the consumer. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, 100%. Yeah. Like what we're building out, like, hey, you know, I've talked a about listicles a ton, but also like I'm calling it the Trojan horse. Like I'm trying to build a page. And I think I shared with you that like looks like it's just a straight up homepage, you know, like very on brand, but it's got all like the classic direct response sales elements. Cause I, I totally agree with you. Consumers are so much more comfortable with that than they are like a page that has no header. Right, right. So I think that's one. Um, I think, sorry, Rob, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to ask you. So in terms of like a squeeze page, are you just totally against squeeze pages where like you could add this navigation per se or this faux navigation but and have the logo, but the logo is actually not linked to your homepage. Or so if you click on it, nothing happens. And so, so right, like, you know, because that was the OG stuff, right? The OG squeeze page of like you get them to the page, you want them to stay there or buy. We don't want them surfing around on our site. Do you think that kind of, uh, that's dead now? Well, I think that's what the, the phone navigation should do though, right? When they click on the logo, okay. it shouldn't go anywhere. When they click on the about us, it scrolls them down to the about section in that lander. When they click yeah, shop, you're still keeping like them there. Yeah. You still keep I'm them trying. there. It's still the squeeze yeah. page, but it's like, let's give them the traditional components of a website that they're used to so that mm -hmm. they're not confused. But then just the, that consumer might just assume, oh, it's just a single page website. Cool. Love just that. funnel them how you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, and, yeah, and we've tested some of our advertorials, some of our quizzes. I haven't done the faux one yet. I'm, I'm honestly just trying to figure out how to actually build that because I'm trying to put like a, a sticky call to action on it in, in Builder. So it's just taking some time. But we've tested like running some of these advertorials on our website with our normal header and none, and header always loses. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Now I'm definitely going to test this faux one and see how that does. Yeah, and again, like it, it's not just me assuming that we backed it up by a bunch of heat map testing, and they they love it. Like especially on mobile, customers or whatever users from paid love that nav. Um, so that's that's one of the biggest elements that I would say people are missing out on. Outside of that, the buy boxes. Um, I think there's a sweet spot in the, how to build the buy box on, on one of these called squeeze landing pages, right? Where you're trying to push them straight to checkout. I think the biggest thing is like the images that you use in that buy box. It can't just be one image. Like you have to show them like a traditional PDP product page, mm. multiple image, like a grid of images. Oh, so you need a carousel in there. 
they you need it you need it because again like if you've if you've got other components you've got a header maybe you've got a you know if you i think nick sharma was the og to kind of lay out this template yeah. that is like this is the d2c template where it's like you've got your header you've got your why us you've got your us versus them and then you've got your buy box right i think that the biggest thing in the buy box that a lot of people miss on is that they have one image of the bundle. It's like, no, 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 no. You need to have all the traditional things that a product page would have. Mm-hmm. Where like if you're selling supplements, you need to have the little nutritional guides in there. You need to have every little detail because if they're just shopping on that one page and you don't give them the opportunity to shop around your website or look at your FAQs or look at your about, like you got to give them those images that allow them to kind of click through and like shop almost those images, which are heat maps from testing that like people just hammer those images in that buy box versus when it's just one, they just don't convert. Cause it's like one image That's of a smart. bundle, one image of a product is not enough to convince them. You, you guys know, um, I want to make sure I pronounce her name correctly. Is it Kanika? She runs like a landing page agency. Uh, she's on Twitter. K A N I K A. I don't know how to. I don't. I don't so she runs anything. like a landing page agency. She she's really smart, but she retweeted something today I saw, and there were, she was like, whoever originally said it again. I'm sorry, I don't I don't know who did it, but it was like, you know, a good landing page should make the the user say like, thank you, you did all the research for me. And I, I think that that's a really dope way to, way to look at it, and kind of like lines up with Zach saying like, I think a lot of people focus just on like removing friction, all these like DR aspects of it, right? Like, like no nav, remove friction, remove as many steps as possible. But what they didn't do is get like all of the information in there. And I think that that's at least my takeaway from what you're saying is like, people are going to want to search around, right? On a typical website, but we know that's not ideal for conversion rate. Like you still have to give them all of the information. It's not just about removing friction. Is that, is yeah, that I fair? Think the one, is that the right way to think I about think that's, it? I think that's, Pretty fair. I think the the thing that kind of backs up what you're saying is that what we've tested on landing pages, these like call it what I consider a traditional landing page, um, squeeze page, whatever you want to call it, um, having that buy box be at the very top underneath the nav, underneath the phone app. Mm. They're used to mm. that. They're used to that template. Like, why are we putting that down low? Why are we forcing them to scroll 50% of the page to get there, even if they need to click CTA buttons? Because like, I think having that at the very top makes them comfortable to the point where like if they're like hey i want to learn more like they can just scroll then cool then it's like having a more robust product page at the end of the day and i think that that truly is like the sweet spot um is almost making it like a more robust product page that can be catered to similar to what they're used to similar what they're used to but then also like you don't have to worry about all the constraints that your shopify site might have right and then also you don't have to worry about your okendo review app like slowing the crap out of that page right like you don't need that right so that was my uh, next question, actually, is um, do people disregard speed too much or do people put it on a pedestal too much? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think they disregard it. Or neither. It. I, think, I, think, I think they disregard it because I think, so the, the page builder that, so Ryan Doney is his name. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him or not, but Ryan was our lead developer at Homestead for the first year and a half of Homestead. Um, over the last like six to nine months, we've together been building a landing page, a headless landing page builder. Um, and it's been taking a lot of time and it's kind of like, why are you doing this when there's builder.io and these other ones? Like exactly what, you know, uh, was just mentioned, like the phone nav, we've got that built in like little, little features like that. Now, um, yeah. the big thing is that our pages lighthouse speed is way faster than anyone else. And I can tell you when we AB test our page, exact same template versus a page built on Shogun, ours converts better. Was it the traffic from That's Facebook crazy. that was better? I don't know. I mean, like. Right. I'm pretty sure it's the speed. Like there's nothing else different about the entire page. Um, 
And is the, is the difference massive? No, but it's, the, it's like noticeable. So I think that, again, if you're like little components, right? Like, hey, if you want a phone app or if you want like multiple images, if you can build that on, all on headless, like they don't have to worry about shit loading, which again, is just like trying to make it easy as, as they can and what they're used to. So um, yes, I think that people don't, you know, don't don't think about it as much as they should, especially when they're driving from from paid social for the first visit. Because again, this is your first time looking at a brand, and then some shit's slow or the image isn't loading or whatever. You're like, eh, out. Oh yeah, I, I totally so, agree with that. So hold up, are you are you saying are you launching? Is that like a proprietary tool just for your agency? Or are you launching a a SaaS with that landing page builder? So the plan is to launch SaaS eventually. Building building SaaS is very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So as 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 you know, people in this. Damn, he does it all. Well. Doing, doing um, it's very hard. Brand SaaS. Hey, it, and this is over. crazy. This is this yeah. is the fun part about running an agency. When you get awesome people to come work for you, they have opportunities. They're like, "Hey, I want to go do this." I'm like, "Yeah, I want to be part of it." So let's let's do it together. That's dope. Um, so are you part you so, partner with kind of people and yeah, giving them equity, yeah, so, and that's dope. That's right. awesome. Right, right. So um, not not that way with the brands as of right now, but um, with this yeah. with this product, yep, so far. And again, we're, we're using it for Homestead clients right now. We're kind of figuring out if we're going to roll it out as a service here shortly or not. But um, landing pages are tough. They're tough. Like you have to be a great copywriter. You have to have clean design. You have to have, you know, in our opinion, a headless builder tool. So the page is really fast. Mm-hmm. You got You have to be a marketer. You can't just like slap it together and give it a go. Like you need you need to have a lot of things just to even try it. So um, yeah, anyways. Yeah, that's dope. That's awesome. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making with landers? Like we talked about a few, obviously speed, no phone nav. What, Mm -hmm. uh, with these kind of typical product nav, like what, what are some of the things that you you see on a lot of pages? You're like, we've tested that and that just doesn't work. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think making the design feel different than the site I think is a big, okay. a big component. So like, let me, okay. let me break this down a little bit. So we have, we work with some pretty big, big brands at Homestead and they have old, they have older websites and they're like, well, we want our landing pages to be like incredible, like amazing design, cool new components, yeah. all this like, you know, cool, like fast loading functionality, like whatever, um, bells and whistles at the end of the day. Yeah. And so we, we try it. None of that shit matters. Like it should be as clean as like a simple website should be. I think that people over design okay. landing pages all the time. Okay. Um, I think that that is what I've seen done. They've over designed okay. them. I think that they, again, okay. simplicity, especially if it's first purchase, like why are you trying to show off like your design and like dev capabilities, like just for the hell of it. Yeah. Like, people, you know, the average person buying shit from Facebook and Instagram ads has no idea that that is like some crazy new component or cool like feature. That just rolled out. They just want to see the product. They want to learn about it. And if they're interested, they want to buy it. Like they don't want to yeah. get, they don't want to get, you know, cool bells and whistles in their way. So ugly or pretty, what converts better if you had to pick one? Oh, people give me shit for this on Twitter all the time. I think ugly, ugly. all day, ugly all, all right. day, all day. The, the biggest brands that we audit in the, uh, even our biggest clients, their websites are not great. They're not great. It's like the most simple, like I built, so like, like I said, when I started this whole thing, I was a front end developer. I built Magento sites back in the day. And there you go. <laughs> I, I absolutely hated the look of Magento sites. Cause I saw like all of what the Shopify stuff was going on. I'm like, Hey, Hey, like this is like when movement watches was happening. I'm like, these sites are incredible. They're so cool. Still, when you look back even today, like to then the sites that look like stupid Magento websites are the ones that are killing it, that are doing, you know, $10 million in revenue a month. And you're like, how is this even happening with this crappy website? It's cause it's fast and it's cause it's simple. Like 
that's it. It's crazy. Do you think you can though? Do you, do you think they're, do you think beautiful websites necessarily convert worse? Or do you think if you really know what you're doing, you keep it fast and you keep it simple, that beautiful can convert? Yeah. No, I think so. I think so. hundred okay. percent. I think that, I think it's, there's a, there's a definitely like, uh, you know, uh, a spot where you can overdo it though. And I think that a lot of brands have overdone it. Like we worked on, I don't want to call this brand out specifically, but we worked on, it was in like the, how can I say this? Uh, pet industry. I'll just say that the yeah. most beautiful website you've ever seen, like truly incredible. They dropped a bag to get this site made converted like shit like terrible. We built these simple landers and they did better. It's like people mm-hmm. that are scrolling through their Facebook and Instagram. We always forget they're not us. That we're, we're we're like the small right. small section of the buyer demographic, right? Totally. Middle of America is buying your shit, not the trendy designer website. At, a, at a New York, you know, agency, you know. So I think that yeah, keeping totally. things simple is is important. I mean, if you if you were to if I shared like the, the brand site that I have, it's very simple. It's not, it's not bells and whistles by any means. It's like short, sweet to the point. Um, and I think that's kind of why it's working instead of over again, over design. I think your point Cody though, is like, can you make it beautiful and add brand elements that make it stand out, make it unique? Totally. But there's a level of overdoing it in my eyes. I hear you. And I, I would interject there as well. So, uh, I came from an agency and that's exactly what my experience was. And honestly, the aesthetic was, uh, again, put on a pedestal. And at the end of the day, do you want a bunch of marketers telling you you have a pretty website or do you want conversions? And that that's pretty much what it comes down to. And then the other thing that you run into is um, familiarity. So you might actually have like a decent design, but then you flip the switch and people like are just like, where the fuck do I go? How do I buy? What's going on here? Like, like the site looks totally different. And then there's just growing pains in that. So I have yet to really be a part outside of high, high, high end luxury where you just want to shit on people like I'm the best. I have yet to see aesthetic over conversion because there, outside of that, like it's, it, it just doesn't work. Or in my experience, it is just super challenging to get it work and you get all these accolades and you get all this stuff and then you see the brand goes out of business. <laughs> You're just like, uh, what happened there? I thought they had a dope website. You're just like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. It, so, it just, it, it gets in people's way, in my opinion, where you, you just got to get out of their way. I agree. I think the one thing, so I was just looking at, is it simulate, stim, stim, what is the, the nugs? New brand nugs. No, like yeah. mm-hmm. no what it, it just like there's. I, it's, I think it's called like. I think it's, it's one of the two. Yeah. I don't know what word it is. Anyways, I was on that site earlier today, and I was like, okay, you can clearly tell that this is a New York shop that designed this. But what they did is that they designed it with like text. I think they used copy to like make the design feel unique, and I thought that was brilliant. I'm like, okay, yeah. it's not like just forcing crazy imagery or like whatever bells and whistles or like you know things load differently it's literally just like adding copy in different spots in the site that kind of draw your eye to those different spots so i think that there's a sweet spot though at the end of the day i think that yeah yeah you know we're we're in agreement on the most part on that yeah i mean we're about to we're we're, i almost got triggered for a second when robin was saying that but like now like now that you guys said like the nugs like i know what you mean like there are so many websites and and brands that, that optimize for design over performance, right? Like we're about to do like a, a PDP overhaul or we're about to launch new ones. And like, I think they're beautiful. I think that they're like, you showed somebody like, damn, this is like a beautiful PDP, but we didn't 
sacrifice performance at all. Like we have like a really like we fixed the UX. They're, they're, we're making them as fast as possible. We're on 2.0. Like we've got all of the the elements that are necessary right there. We've got like a sticky add to cart that's like really good, you know. So I think like you can do both. You just can't sacrifice one for the other, and you got to find that balance. Is like the diplomatic answer. Yeah, and I think even to my point about about this Nugs website, which is Simulate, S-I-M-U-L-A-T-E, simulate.com, um, is you go to this product page that you end up on, and this add to cart button is massive, and I love that. Like, mm-hmm. that's so good, because if that's, if that's middle of America, if that's trendy people, like, they all know how to use it really easily, and I think that that's where using, like, call it trendy design to, to, to keep those simple elements that you need people to click on like in their face. Like I think that that's, that's where you can kind of find that sweet spot between. Yeah, I think bite toothpaste does a really good job of marrying aesthetic oh, and good. functionality. I'm in, that's I'm a in beautiful love with site. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's My favorite site. is, is Caraway. I think that they've got like the best blend mm-hmm. that of, in terms of like brand design, again, it's simple, but in terms of like brand design, but also like really good UX for conversion purposes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, boys, we're bumping up against an hour. Let's uh, wrap this thing up. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You guys want to plug Homestead? You want to plug Jones Road? Where we want to do here? Oh, man, I I appreciate that. Uh, If anything, just go hit me up on Twitter. Um, DMs are open. I try to respond to everybody. Zach M. M is in Michael. Zach M. Stuck on Twitter. Um, Happy to chat. Landers, happy to chat. D to C stuff, whatever. Uh, Do not DM DM him asking the brand name. You will not get an yeah. answer back. You're gonna get a gift back. No, That's you'll get I'm like saying. a link to like some wish site. You know, some wish yeah. product <laughs> <laughs> or Alibaba. Yeah, I'll throw no, him off sure. the trail. Yeah. Uh, Cody, where can people find you? Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Cody Ploff uh, and subscribe to my newsletter link in bio right there. Boom, boom, boom. Awesome people. Hey, well, thank you for joining us, Zach. This has been an awesome conversation. Landers, how to acquire businesses, make all the monies while you're helping some people. Little charity aspect as well. That's super awesome. Um, if you do want to get more involved with Triple Well, it's trytriplewell.com. We are so, oh, can't even speak. Friday, sorry. Uh, we're also on the Bird app at Triple Well. And then we also have a newsletter um, that Cody is a regular uh participant in and helps us uh, get all that knowledge out as well and you can subscribe to whale mail it goes out every tuesday thursday on our twitter profile again at triple whale fellas this is fantastic what a way to wrap up a friday cody don't play too much golf we, we need you we, we need you back in the seat again and then uh zach thanks so much for dropping all your knowledge and everything go check out homestead go check out zach and then uh buy his phantom products as well as his notebooks and then um we still don't have a sign off, Cody. You're, you're killing me here. You're supposed to. You're supposed to research. Oh, dude, that's not me. That's you. You're you're the host. <laughs> so, thanks for All right, folks. Well, we're still searching for the sign off. But again, thanks again, Zach, Cody. You guys have a wonderful Friday, and we'll see everybody on the flip. Bye bye. Sounds good. See you guys. Peace, guys.